Now, back to G.I. Joe. Live from the Talking Joe Studios, it's Talking Joe. You seem normal. Hey, 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 Mark here. And you are listening to part two of episode 122 of Talking Joe. In part one, we spoke with Diana Davis, research specialist for G.I. Joe, a real American hero, all about her involvement on the book. And in this second part, we're digging into the detail of the latest issue, 281. I'm joined by a real American Tim, Tim Finn, and research specialist Diana Davis. So, guys, are you ready to get started? I'm ready for 281, Diana. Oh, yeah. I'll go over it. I may not be as exciting as the artist to discuss with it because the exciting <laughs> part for me is before all that happens. But I've got it. I've got it on my screen. Let's go through. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them. Tim and Mark discuss them. Whoa. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them, Tim and Mark discuss them, whoa! Credits, we've got writer Larry Hammer, artist Andrew Lee Griffiths, Andrew Lee Griffiths, interesting, who's credited as artist, so that implies both pencils and inks. Uh, Colours, uh, Jay Brown, letters as normal, Neil Uteke, senior editor Tom Waltz, uh, editor Megan Brown, and research specialist Diana Davis. Uh, we've got a sit trap, Murder by Assassination Part 1. The Joes are called into Trucial Abysmia to investigate possible Cobra infantry into US military efforts there. But they get far more than they bargain for, both good and bad. Who is the mysterious Cobra operative causing them such mi- mis- murderous mayhem? And who is the hard-charging US military policeman called Sherlock who's leading the battle against the enemy? Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. <laughs> Cover A is uh, Andrew Griffith. We've got uh, Hawk on the left, Stalker on the right, and the new character Sherlock in the middle in uh, military togs with a black uh, flak jacket and um, military police scrawled across it. And in the background is a Humvee-type vehicle. I think that's a a military vehicle rather than a G.I. Joe-specific one. But correct me if I'm wrong, either of you two. That's nope. that's how I read it. I, I don't yeah. see this as the hammer. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, and uh, quite a an orangey kind of uh, colour palette going on here. So pr- possibly uh, sunsets. Yeah, looks, uh, looks good. And it's a good indication of uh, Andrew's uh, style that we can expect to see on the inside. I've got a little quibble about this, which is just... Um, on on Hawk's helmet, um, the positioning of seeing his ear behind uh, behind that seems a little bit bit weird. But that that's my only quibble that I've got around this. Uh, really, I think it's a yeah a nice striking cover, and uh, yeah, good to see that spotlight on the on the new character, Tim. I really like Andrew Griffith's art on this issue, and. Um, He was one of the three or four artists making a lot of Transformers comics in the main IDW Transformers continuity in the last um, five or ten years. And um, the my one 
my one comment about his art, right? His art is great. His storytelling is great. Um, his acting, uh, his his uh, action choreography, right? Like he can do this. And certainly drawing a Transformers comic is good practice for drawing a G.I. Joe comic. Um, all of his lines are thin. And both on this cover and in the interiors, uh, I would love to see thicker outlines on characters or props i'd like them to have just a little more heft i feel like these three characters on the cover would pop a little bit more from the background like compositionally i understand that they're in front of the background but at the same time right drawing drawing this comic is a major challenge particularly this issue because you know there's not even not only gi joe specific vehicles to draw but so regular specific vehicles to draw i like this cover this cover starts to ask a question, which I think comic book covers should do, and the insides should answer the question, right? Who's this person we don't recognize? And what's that vehicle behind them that's mostly unfamiliar? It's not, it's not an action cover, it's a, it's a standing pose cover, and I, I, I do prefer action covers, story covers um, for G.I. Joe and, and all comics, but uh, this does ask a bit of a question. I want to add that I actually, uh, Andrew and I communicated way before. He's done some sketches for me. And he's not just Transformers fan. He is a G.I. Joe fan himself. Mm. He, so he has not just an artist knowledge, but a, a slight fan knowledge of at least, you know, he knows the characters. He knows the line. He really loves it. Mm -hmm. So he enjoys he enjoys drawing Joe as much as Transformers. So it, it gives him a little bit of, you know, when you, when you know the characters and love them, there, there's a difference between someone who knows the Joe when they're drawing, at least from my point of view, where I, you know, they ask me this and that. I know he's going to, you know, when they said brought him on, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he knows what he's doing. He knows Joe's. He's drawn Joe's for me. <laughs> that, that, that's always nice to see. I was I was about to ask what did he draw for you, but then I thought, yeah, he, he drew Duke, right? Do you really have to ask? Are I think really? I think I think he drew Thundercracker, right? No. Right, yeah. He drew me Skidmark. <laughs> That's rude. Um, cover B, we've got art by Freddie Williams II, with uh, colours by Andrew Dalhouse. And uh, this is part of a five-issue interlocking piece. Um, so, yeah, quite an exciting big action scene that will uh, be stitched together as these uh, issues pro progress uh, as the Joes battle Cobra in front of Washington, D.C. and the Capitol building <laughs> there. Um, and, uh, yeah, possibly, uh, possibly giving us a hint of what might come in the future issues as there is a bit of a uh, an indication that the uh, the story will progress to uh, to a plot point in the capital so uh, meant to be seen quite a different style there from uh, from Freddie um, it's from seeing the the black and white um, originals he's is working with a lot of kind of uh, gray tones which I guess uh, uh, informs the coloring decisions being uh, made in the uh, the tones specifically uh, around there, but yeah, uh, uh, big uh, action uh, action scene, and this one's f focusing in on lot the ninjas. So we have got Dawn there kicking a uh, uh, Zaymot, I think it is, in the face. Is it Zaymot? Well, not entirely sure. And Storm Shadow there, Budo 
cover girl swinging in shipwreck wild bill yeah what do you think um so freddie williams the second is most recently best known for drawing three batman ninja turtles crossovers uh, each six issues for dc and idw and before that he did some work for uh dc um, he wrote and drew a great book called the DC Comics Guide to Digitally Drawing Comics, which was the fifth book in a series um, that a sister company of DC published, right? There was a DC Comics Guide to Writing, Penciling, Inking. There was one on lettering and coloring. And then there was one that Freddie Williams II did on drawing digitally. So he's he's been all over. And uh, he's one of those artists who I wondered, it's like, oh, you know, I wonder if this, if this guy is uh, familiar with uh, G.I. Joe, maybe a fan. Uh, I wonder if he may ever show up and do a cover. And he did uh, covers for um, the other continuity of G.I. Joe uh, at, at IDW. And I sort of wondered, like, oh, is he going to come over and do any work for Real American Hero? So we get these uh, these these. Uh, one, two, three, four, five covers. And the whole image together in black and white is super striking and super exciting. Williams II's, his his ink washes, I find they make his covers, uh, and I have found this with his work for, for many years. It's not just G.I. Joe. It's not just uh, Batman Ninja Turtles. I find his covers are a little busy and a little overloaded. And I think what helps them is coloring with a lighter touch, coloring with um, no gradients. Uh, and certainly some of the gradient is going to happen naturally, right? If you have a gray, gray wash on a, an arm yeah, or a helmet yeah. and you put a flat color under it, it's going to look like a gradient. It's going to get mm-hmm. darker or lighter. The coloring on this is a little more aggressive than I think the actual inks want. But in terms of compositions and action and excitement, uh, it's super exciting uh, and I really like it. I think that's Zaymot in the front. Zaymot is the guy with the the scar, and he's the one who has the the little collar of his metal collar on the right. Tomax uh-huh. has it on the left. I'm I'm pretty sure I've got that right. If I'm wrong, someone will point it out. But I'm pretty sure that um the difference. I mean, the scar is it's hard to tell whether that's a scar or blood. Yeah, that that was my that was what was giving me pause. <laughs> but I think the scar is on the same side as his metal collar mm. and shoulder guard. So you, you think of one is right and the other is left. And I know that that yeah, I think Zaymot has the scar on the right cheek and also then the pad on the right. Yeah, Mark's probably getting yeah. a little. Uh, Mark might be second guessing himself because at the same time we're reading the Devil's Do Run, where Zaymot's scar is on the other side of his face. Wow. Yeah, and and yeah. and. In this picture, it does look a little bit like there might be an uncolored scar sort of running from top left down to bottom right. So yeah, um, yeah, but, I saw but, that as well. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right in terms of your ex, ex, explanation that um, yeah, Samot is the one with the scar, and as we look at him, his um, metal collar thing is on <laughs> on the left, his right. Cool. Um, and then the third cover of this trio is from uh, Casey Maloney and it has Snake Eyes and and Scarlet in a shooting range uh, with a target of Cobra Commander down the end of, end of it. Snake Eyes has got his smoking Uzi. Uh, he's shot a smile into the Cobra Commander's helmet and uh, 
Scarlet has uh, probably thrown those two um, throwing stars to to make uh, make eye holes. And um, it looks like in the front of the book, there's a little speech bubble coming from Scarlet, but that's not on the preview images that I've found on online. So I'm not entirely sure what uh, what they're saying. I don't know if uh, either of you have got a a version of that 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 you can see that's got the speech bubble that's legible. I am holding my retailer incentive copy and Scarlet is saying, okay, my turn. He still needs a nose. <laughs> cool. It, it reminds me of a Trimpy sketch from the eighties. Yeah. I, I was getting a, a Trimpy vibe from this as well. There's a, um, there's a, a flatness to the dimensional forms of these characters. And there's, there's, um, something in both their faces. I know he's wearing a mask that reminds me of Trimpy. Funny, funny enough, I had a reaction looking at this. I thought it reminded me a lot of the recent uh, Rod Wiggum work, where he's inking himself more so. Some, yeah, some sort of similarities to to his sort of more current style. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I was going to say I'm not really so familiar with the this artist though, uh, Casey uh, Maloney, with uh, colors from Jay Brown. No, there's a Trimpy sketch from back in the 80s. I don't, I think it might have been in a yearbook or something mm. where she's shooting an apple off of Clutch's head. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that, and that that's, pin that's up. It might have been, that... it might have been in the yearbook one that it got yeah. printed. There was, it was when they, they did that series of uh, pin ups for all of the original 13. That was, that was it. It had um, Scarlet with a, uh, with a crossbow. Yeah. And she's saying something like, uh, if I miss with the arrow, I can get him with the pistol or something. Yeah. <laughs> and poor Clutch is just like, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Casey Maloney uh, has done a little bit of work on G.I. Joe before um, with um, uh, some of the movie comics tying into the first live action movie. This cover is, it's, it's actually quite different because we have almost never had a word balloon on a G.I. Joe cover. Yeah, for sure. And it's a joke, and G.I. Joe covers are never funny. This is definitely, you know, the variant covers are often a place for uh, a, a shot sort of out of continuity, you know, like a, a character in their original costume or a character who's no longer alive. And this is very definitely the throwdown snake eyes because um, of the the mask the actual mouthpiece of the mask um so this this cover if it's a scene that takes place you know in continuity and not just sort of a, an imaginative scenario this this takes place recently in mm-hmm. gi joe it looks like um, he's got um the robert atkins designed sword that um he was using in snake hunt on his back yeah i i appreciate that this is funny and light and uh a little retro because you know word balloons are never on covers and if they are it's like 80s or earlier yep cool let's uh move on to the inside of the book and let's start with a plot breakdown a team of joes are in crucial abysmia investigating possible Cobra involvement in convoy ambushes on the US military. They join Regina Allen, a.k.a. Sherlock, a hard-charging MP squad leader. Gork, Stalker and Mongoose join the convoy carrying a load of top-secret experimental ordnance. The convoy is ambushed from an overpass two hours into their six-hour drive by hostiles. 
They are led by the mysterious Al Kalbra, who attempts to grab the secret ordnance with an Aspid helicopter. Sherlock takes the lead and shoots down the Aspid with a Stinger missile. Al Kalbra throws a grenade which Sherlock leaps to throw back, but her left arm is caught by a mid-air explosion. Before she is medivaced out, Sherlock reveals that she leaked false information about where she would be in the convoy and put a booby-trapped spray paint can to mark her supposed vehicle, which was marked with an X by the traitor. They would be able to identify the traitor by the chemical marker on their finger. This eventually allow allowed the CID to identify who was involved in the conspiracy. Two months later, at the pit, Sherlock is given a prosthetic arm with similar tech to Sightline's leg and a transfer to the G.I. Joe team. She will be joining Stalker, Caseload the Jag Specialist and Accountant Bottom Line in the G.I. Joe CID unit at the Pentagon to investigate Cobra attempts to infiltrate and sabotage the US government. To be continued. Top down, I loved this issue. And when we get to Yo-Jo, uh, Yo-Jo-age score, um, it's pretty high and, and it, it really only loses points because it's part one of a story. Well, anyway, more on, more on that later. This issue, I love it when we go back to one of the fictional countries mm -hmm. in G.I. Joe. I love it when the story in one of these fictional countries is something that I can recognize from the news or from history. This issue has uh, introduces a new Joe, which is really exciting mm -hmm. and not a character that has ever been in the toy or the cartoon or some other, you know, this isn't like uh, Sergeant Stone in the first live action movie, right? Like this is just an all new character. Um, she's going to get her costume, her G.I. Joe uniform uh, in part two. Uh, um, uh, we see another new Joe. We see Mongoose mm -hmm. in this story who's had uh, one or two appearances um, up until now. Uh, he also gets to do something. He's not just in the background. We see uh, a variety of Cobra vehicles, an intriguing um, sort of third party mm -hmm. uh, villain, right? Not a Joe, not a Cobra, but someone connected to Cobra. The, the action in this issue is, is tight and contained and compelling. And I love the setup that this convoy is ambushed right by an overpass, right by a bridge, and that the part of the convoy is cut off, right? The front part of the convoy is cut off from the back part of the convoy where our Joes are because of this bridge. And then there's a Cobra helicopter, which then gets shot down on the bridge, right? Like this is just mm -hmm. really fun action choreography. Mm. Yeah, it's, as you say, it's got this choreography, a real sense of place and where things are situated. And there is, you know, the the that convoy of which vehicles are in the convoy and where they're located and how is how are they in location to to this bridge attack it's it's all being carefully and thought out and uh yeah the the as well as having an an interesting and compelling and action filled story that you know you've got you know the beat of an introduction a fairly short introduction a a, a big action sequence in in the middle and then a kind of a wrapper at, at the at the end that um and hitting all of those 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 beats as as well as doing all of that it's uh also looks good it's um you know the the style of of andrew's art here is you know for me very on on point there's a lot of precision and detail the 
the technical aspects of the vehicles particularly um, are just, you know, incredibly precise and, and look um, very satisfying and, and in a way that isn't just a, you know, coming across as a photoshopped, you know, photo of the vehicle in, in the way that some artists, when they're going for detail, sometimes that, you know, it looks like maybe um, some shortcuts has been, have been filled here. It just looks, it looks balanced with the, the way that everything else is appearing on that, that same page or, or, or panel and isn't sticking out as an other. Uh, yep. Yeah, just a lot of detailed precision of uh, the, uh, the line work. It looks like a lot of effort and attention has been being paid and, and it's uh, yeah showing in the uh, in the end product in terms of uh, the art. Diana, can you separate yourself from having worked on the issue and and how you you react to this issue as a reader? Do you have a reaction? Can can you have a reaction? I can. It, it's getting harder and harder. Sad to say, um, I don't mind that it's getting harder because you know giving up the ability to to read it fresh for the first time has allowed me to see a lot of really amazing stuff in the creation. So sometimes it's better for me to wait a little while after the, after the issue comes out and then go back to it. It it helps that they're made ahead of time. So by the time this came out, we're already working on like three or four issues ahead, but I do have to, I I always tend to read comics several times. I I have to, it's easier for me that way. I read it the first time like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And then I go back and, and, and read it three or four more times to, to pick out little bits. But I, I do have to say it, it is kind of changed the way I see the comic when I read it. I do know that I all from start to finish, this one sort of took off after the uh, untold tales. And this one's like a self-encapsulated story, right? We know there's more to come in this arc, but you could just end this here mm-hmm. and move mm-hmm. on to something else and then come back to Regina. And it's still great. And I find this issue, like, like you said, it's it's got a set place. It's got a set locale. It doesn't bounce back and forth between several different locations. Mm. The whole story is encapsulated in this, you know, less than a mile space on the freeway. It's got a great battle. I mean, this battle is, I'm kind of impressed. Hasbro is not necessarily okay with showing a lot of, like, blood or people on fire mm-hmm. or people getting shot. They've gotten a lot better. Because, you know, this is a comic about battle. These things happen. So this feels like a gritty battle. I mean, you've got the Aspid being blown up and characters running off in flames. You have people's arms being blown up and you can see the tatters. And I think that's kind of important. I mean, not to show gore and like, ooh, gory. But the fact that this this is a battle. People are going to die in horrific ways in this battle. And they may not be our main characters, but... I, I, I can see this and go, this is this is closer to what Action Force used to be, where yeah. people mm-hmm. got shot and went arg. They went arg a lot in Action Force. <laughs> but th- this is a battle. This is a G.I. Joe comic. This is, this is the kind of comic a lot of people like, where there's great story, there's great action, and it's a comic about soldiers who are in, who are fighting. It's interesting you said um, Action Force there, because there's, there's the moment later on when the, the new villain, Al Kelbra, um, shoots the vapor in, in the head um, to, to steal the fang off of him. And and that that feels like a, just a classic action force beat where quite regularly the uh, the senior Cobra command or, or um, 
that Baron Ironblood uh, command would uh, would yeah inflict <laughs> and senseless uh, carnage on their their own troops for uh, failing them or, or or you know or whatnot. So yeah, it's uh, interesting you you picked that out because uh, yeah I did sort of make that slight mental connection that it's not really something that we've seen in uh, the the Larry Hammer books so much where where the the villains sort of turn on their own troops. But uh, yeah, so so yeah, an interest, an, an interesting and uh, fun fun scene that I, connected connected with me. I can understand Hasbro's point of view too, because they are a toy company. Yep. Remember, yeah. they make toys, and they're they the toys are although they're aiming more at the collectors now. The the, the natural response to hearing the word toy is kids, and you know, well, we don't necessarily want a comic where you see. Some guy gets shot in the head, and you can see the bullet coming out the other side, and there's there's splooty blood. Um, but yeah, they are kind of loosening up, I think, because of course every issue has to go through them kind of first, like so they can say, well, you know, let let's not do that. And there have been times I've suggested, well, why don't we do this thing? And you know, the answer is Hasbro would not touch that with a ten foot pole. <laughs> and it's true because in the bottom, the chance of a parent now picking up a comic a child would have a G.I. Joe comic in their child's room with their Joe toys and seeing this and going, oh my God, in the 80s, that was probably a pretty good chance. Yeah. Now, the, you know, sad to say, it's very doubtful that that mm-hmm. would happen. Mm-hmm. And they, there's an understanding that comics are read by sort of slightly more mature people. Not that I don't think, you know, I'm not saying kids should see gore, but it, you want to, there's there's a there's a problem if everyone parachutes to safety. Kids are smart, but also that's not really what happens. Mm-hmm. I noticed in, in the this issue there was a lot of acronyms and jargon, but without any corresponding editorial definition. You know for, that, that we might otherwise see with an asterisk explaining what that particular term was. So we had. Uh, CID, MP, Hempts, Nonex, Cinegars, VHF, JAG, to name but a few. And uh, yeah, interesting that none of them were defined. I wondered whether that might be somewhat intentional that we're being dropped into a and immersed into this military environment. And as a you know observer looking in, there will be this te- this this jargon being used, and it's not going to be explained to us in much the same way, way that you might be watching something like uh, the the wire or uh, the the uh, subsequent series you know set in this kind of environment generation kill where you are you know are immersed in it and you're not going to be spoon-fed the the details of what absolutely every single thing means and it and it somewhat creates a, a feel and in, environment uh, because of that to be honest the lack of asterisks and footnotes to me read as an omission because the gi joe comic for so long has had them uh but it's not one that i minded because from the context i can i can pick it up uh but it did jump out as something different Mm, i mean i I'm, i'm doing this so i was looking them them up but as a casual reader i probably wouldn't so, so some of those are CID. I think is probably well known as a as a kind of acronym in, in the UK. I guess it, it's sort of known in terms of p- policing. But 
uh, in this instance, it relates to the United States Army Criminal Investigation Command, shortened to CID, HEMPTS, uh, Heavy Expanded Mobility Tactical Truck, MRAP is Mine Resistant Ambush Protected, uh, which is a military light tactical vehicle uh, designed specifically to uh, withstand improvised explosive devices. Times have changed, and uh, I think in recent issues we've had the asterisk explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to why it's not in there. But I do think that a lot of people reading have a phone right next to them now, where if you really want to know, you'll look that up. And one of the other things that that has always been in GI Joe comics is because they don't write down, there are things that you learn. And I learned, I think, things like when I was a kid, what are hashtags? What are bailiwick? And I couldn't look it up online. You know, as a 10-year-old, I didn't necessarily know what bailiwick meant. But I, I, luckily, I had a mother and a dictionary. Now you have the internet. So if someone really wants to know, they can, you know, that just goes back to another G.I. Joe thing where if you don't know what this is, now you've learned something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, how how easily did you follow that that plot point about the chemical uh, the the spray paint and the chemical marking on the on the roof? It was something that I didn't pick up particularly well on my first reading and kind of had to circle back on it before sort of um, going back and noticing um, all of the the details, which probably is is partly in, intentional. That um, at the beginning of the story we've got. Uh, one of these um, uh, heavy vehicles with uh, an X on the on the front of it, and it doesn't necessarily stand out in of, in of itself until we find out later from from Sherlock that she had left out the spray paint such that uh, such that the traitor character could uh, to, could use those spray cans to mark up the vehicle and uh, then reveal themselves. I I followed it. Uh, it. It was not confusing. It was uh, well explained. And then I realized, right, what that white X had been. I, uh, I, I have strong feelings about Jay Brown's colors on this series. But I will point out that the panel where uh, Sherlock is walking away from the vehicle and has left out a box of spray paint cans, and it's a flashback, that panel is almost black and white. Mm-hmm. which you know a, a nice signifier that it's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. Uh, a a flashback and in in comics a convention that is not often used and too subtle to often be helpful is that flashbacks have round panel uh corners mm-hmm. and regular panels in the present day have square right angle uh ones i remember reading the uh, batman mask of the phantasm uh, comic adaptation and not understanding what was happening in the movie it's very clear when it goes to flashback because the, like, there's a music cue and there's like a crossfade um so uh, but you know visually because you know movies and like sepia tones and old photographs uh when we see something that's monochrome um so i i like that decision very much but overall uh i i i did get that plot point yeah i don't know if it was um necessarily the the best move on on sherlock's part to 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 have the the car the 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 truck marked up with an x and and walk into the ambush Uh, possibly they could have uh they could have tried to find the the traitor after they'd used the spray can rather than after they've walked into the uh the the trap 
unless you'd like to no prize that one. Uh, um, <laughs> there's less criticism of any uh, anything other than uh, uh, other than why why would you not catch that earlier? If I, is some of this that I mean they they they're just very likely to get ambushed mm. on the road. So two birds with one stone. Mm. Yeah, if you if you're expecting that that there'll be an an attack regardless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of real world analog here is like highways that the U.S. government has built in like Afghanistan and Pakistan and uh, Iraq, uh, which initially are symbols of, you know, our nation building and our peacekeeping are often then picked apart and are very expensive to maintain and are visual reminders of the danger uh, of those peacekeeping missions. So separate from what condition this road is in right that that line keep your eyes peeled uh and be prepared to disperse oh uh we're we're approaching uh an overpass mm-hmm. classic ambush site right like no yeah. they're they're I'm in still, danger they're yeah. on the road they're going to be ieds or they're going to be missile launchers they're still prepping for it and i guess and i guess the advantage they've got here is that um they were aware of the the vehicle being marked up which meant that the wrong vehicle was being targeted by this this ambush. So in in terms in terms of them being ambushed, it gave them a let them be somewhat one step ahead of the of the enemy as well. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll walk back my criticism. <laughs> Thanks, Tim and Mark of the future. In terms of following the 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 steps of the mystery, this goes back before that whole thing came up i i want to sort of mention on a side note larry hama really likes mystery shows Mm. and and police shows and detective shows english american he's he likes them Uh, one of the sometimes i because i like to talk to people you may have noticed i I will message him about like what shows you watch and 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 everything from poirot up to modern day shows he likes them. And a lot of this reminded me on reading it when you get to the flashback, like, well, what happened of at the end of like some of those classic mystery shows mm. where everyone's gathered together in the parlor <laughs> or whatever. Well, how did you solve the crime, Poirot or Holmes? What did you notice? Mm-hmm. Or well, what happened? And so you may not see that X on the truck when you're first reading the comic, mm. but when you get to the end stage and she's describing what happened, you will find it when you flip back. Yeah. As opposed to like on a TV show, they'll show you the flashbacks and they can't do like all the flashbacks in the comic because they only have a certain number of pages. Mm-hmm. But because that's there, whether you see that the first time or not, you can go backwards and pick them out when she's talking about that. And I found that a really great thing because this is not necessarily a comic you might read linearly. You will have to go, oh, is there an X on that truck? Let me flip. There it is. Mm. I missed that the first time. So I like the way that's structured because it does remind me of watching a a detective or a mystery show on TV. And when the the hero is giving the explanation, rather than having all of the flashbacks come back, the reader can flip back a few pages and find all the pits that she mentions. The other mystery is Al Cabra. Mm -hmm. Who who is this character, right? They are... Um, their their identity is visually obstructed on purpose, right? They're wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a head wrap. They're, the cloth also covers their face. Uh, they're wearing gloves, you know, shirt, jacket, and pants, right? So we can't tell anything about this person except mm-hmm. that they're male. 
um, and they can throw a grenade. So I don't know if this is an all new character, if this is someone from Cobra and it's going to be a reveal mm. um, that they're doing a side deal or it's like a mission from Cobra Commander. Uh, briefly, I wondered if it was Cobra Commander. And then um, in terms of of mystery, right, to Diana's point, the whole title of the story suggests mystery to me that because it's a five-part story that the Joes are going to either have to stop an assassination or someone's going to be assassinated and they're going to have to figure something out about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, they, as, as sort of journeyed comic readers, I think that our expectation is that this, this guy must be someone, potentially an existing Cobra that, that we might be familiar with already in under disguise because, as you say, the sunglasses, the wrap, you know, all of those features um, hidden. He's come out of nowhere and, you know, that sense of mystery. Who could he be? Obviously, sort of, you know, villainous, no no quibbles about shooting uh, the vapor in the, in the uh, head, turning his brains into a fine mist or perhaps vapor. Mm. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's a good sense of... Uh, of uh, mystery there. The the initial reaction when I saw um, the the attack and and those um, that shout of Al Cobra from uh, the the insurgents was was thinking could th- is this like a cobrified version of Allah Akbar or something like like that and you know is it a catchphrase of these these um, uh, these insurgents shouting shouting it but then yeah it becomes clear that uh, that that is the name of this new new villain. Or disguised villain, and uh, and you know to to have them shout that it must inspire somewhat of a you know zealot like zeal uh, you know fervor to 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 kind of be shouting his name as they run into into battle, much like you know blood for the Baron from uh, our Action Force days or or something of that ilk. In this issue, I love that Mongoose shows up. And I forgot to mention another new Joe who we haven't seen much of shows up. Sightline shows up at the end. I don't remember Mongoose's costume from when he first showed up. I think it was two years ago, a year a year and a half ago. Um, I remember it was uh, a pretty standard uh, desert-ish, you know, army uniform, fatigues. Um, that it didn't have any particular flourish like a lot of the Joes do. He's not wearing like a blue button-up shirt with dark blue bell bottoms, or in the case of <laughs> like um, uh, Duke version uh, three, three, uh, where he's mm-hmm. sort of Desert Storm but has a bunch of red on him. Mm-hmm. Um, not the full-out Desert Storm one from like '93. Um, I was going to say he first showed up in issue 244 sort of being introduced in the in the canteen as you say like in sort of fairly standardized i think desert togs but then with a um the, the headwear that he was um wearing and um yeah i think he might have shown up in a couple of training sequences or something but um not an awful lot since so yeah we've not seen him for for quite some quite some time given that yeah that's issue 244 and we're now on 281 yeah um i wish in this issue where he gets two or three panels to do something. Um, I wish that his costume was more distinct because it took me a second to realize that this actually was Mongoose when he's hopping out of the vehicle and picking off some bad guys and not one of the, quote, regular military guys that are already in this environment that the Joes have joined. 
because his costume looks just like them. And I can imagine that Joe fans who either have served in the military or are really into like the real the military realism of the modern era. You know, there's there's a there's a fun discrepancy in G.I. Joe because if you squint, like the original 13, like they look sort of authentic enough. You know, Stalker looks like a generic army guy, but Stalker in his 82 costume in Trusilabismia in 2021 doesn't. Mm. So, but Mongoose, I just, I need, I need two things different in this costume that he's wearing that makes him more mm. of a unique Joe and less of like one of thousands of soldiers that are stationed there. And also speaking of Mongoose, um, as much as I liked uh, Andrew Griffith's um, art, acting and storytelling, I found the first two pages a little confusing because the... Uh, the uh, the commanding officer who's in the vehicle with these three Joes, he says, um, General Abernathy, your driver, Mongoose, is he an indigenous hire? And Hawk says, no, Colonel, he's one of us, born and raised in Dearborn. And I see that as two things. One, Hama is pushing back at the occasional toxic uh, fandom or toxic Americanism that, um, you know, someone who uh, you might not think is an American is in fact an American, despite what they look like mm-hmm. or what their name is. But two, you know, Hama always points out what everyone's name in a G.I. Joe comic, because, and I say this, I say this as a compliment, right? He's old fashioned in that writing style, right? That like, you don't always know who's who, or you may be a new reader. Um, so Mongoose gets called out, which I appreciate. Um, but on this first page, um, we barely see him. We're in the in panel three. We're behind all four of these uh, these guys. Uh, we're behind the back seat, so we're looking past Stalker and Hawk, um, past the Colonel and someone who's driving the vehicle, and I can't tell who they are mm-hmm. because they have a realistic modern military uniform. And I thought it was just sort of any generic mm. soldier from the rest of this mission that was driving this. Uh, vehicle. Um, I can't see his face. I can't see any specific G.I. Joe costume cue that tells me it's Mongoose, right? Like a, like a green uh, short sleeve on his right shoulder or red head ba- uh, armbands or whatever. Or his pet um, Mongoose that accompanies him everywhere on his shoulder. Uh, this is good and we should come up with a name <laughs> and this can, be, this can be the Joe with figure for that year, for 2019. Um, um, and then I'm- in the next page... As the scene continues inside this vehicle, we don't focus on Mongoose. So I, th- I wish, as much as I like panel three of page one, mm-hmm. uh, I think that needed to be a reverse angle. I think we needed to be looking into this vehicle from the hood so that we could see Mongoose uh, in the front and then the colonel and then behind them, uh, Stalker mm. and Hawk. Because um, I know that Larry and, and as Diana sort of talked to earlier, kind of writes plot first um, you know, full script dialogue last, and the approach around that will be that a lot of the time the the dialogue and the uh, the captioning will be to try and clarify things that are not obvious from the art. So, so possibly some of that dialogue um, that we see then on on the 
second page about uh, Mongoose might, you know, might be trying to clarify in part something that is less obvious then on the page that, that it is Mongoose who is the, the driver. So, so instead of seeing it in the art, let's, uh, let's, you know, clearly establish it in the dialogue in, instead. I don't, don't know, Diana, Diana, if you wanted to, to comment on that particular point. I, I can't recall. I'm looking at the plot right now. When he plotted it out in that first page up for that panel, he wrote Mongoose is driving. Marks is shotgun, Hawk and Stalker are in the back seat. So he didn't specify front or back. He specified who was in the vehicle. And when the layouts came out, I think we were all like, oh yeah, that's really good. I like how you're behind them. And just as I said before, when you're doing it from your head out, you know. So it makes sense to you because you come at it with all the information already in your head. Mm -hmm. But if you're coming at it from outside, sometimes those details of, well, uh, someone seeing this fresh, can they pick that out? And I don't think that ever stood out because, of course, we we have that speech in there. And I think that was always there. Okay. I think that was always there that Larry had him like, you know... This is this is a Joe. This is, he's one of us. There's something else happening on pages two and three, which, from a storytelling perspective, this this is me uh, critiquing Griffith's layouts just a bit. Uh, again, I think he did a wonderful job on the issue. I can't wait to read the rest of the story. I hope he stays on the book for a hundred issues. So, um, in comics, right, generally the rule is you're reading one page at a time, and then occasionally you turn the page and you've got a double page spread, which is very exciting as the reader and also as the artist because you can sell it for more money. Um, and also unusual for G.I. Joe, isn't it? Yeah, it was happening a little bit in the one, the late like 120s and the early 130s. There are a couple page two, page three, double page spreads, which would then have the credits. Mm, mm, but yeah. yes, pretty unusual. Um, so what what also has happened uh, in the last 20 years, right? Like Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley did this a lot on Ultimate Spider-Man is you turn the page and now you're supposed to read the top of the left page and the top of the right page and then the bottom of the left page and the bottom of the right page. So whether or not there's a big panel that is acting as a partial double page splash, um, the the page unit is now the double page uh, spread. And um, whoever's drawing such a spread needs to make it really clear for me that um, what what I would call panel two, right? The panel in this case that is Colonel Marks talking with Stalker, that that needs to lead my eye across the fold onto the right page, so mm-hmm. that I know to read mm-hmm. the top tier all the way across, rather than reading page two and then going up to the top of page three and reading the story actually out of order. And what Griffith has done here is he's ended this panel of Marks talking to Stalker before the gutter. And then there's a bunch of black to the right of it. And then there's what's actually the next panel. I would have drawn this panel uh, pat to the right of Stalker's head. I would have continued it past the fold up until the edge of the next panel as a small visual cue to lead my eye across the fold. Mm-hmm. So that's one point. The other point is, while I love this big double page splash of this convoy of vehicles, and I love the like very fun and informative 
Larry Hama dialogue of someone calling out, in this case, what each of these vehicles are and what, what they do. In the language of comics, I would love it if the word balloon place placement could match up in the same order as the vehicles. Mm. For that to happen, the word balloons would have to move across this two-page spread differently. Yeah. And that would be either hard or would break some rules. Yeah. If Griffith had flopped this panel, if the vehicles were all driving to the left, then the vehicle order would match the word balloon order so that one word balloon could sit just above its corresponding vehicle. Now, in the language of comics, you generally, in Western comics, want to lead the eye from left to right. Uh, and that is what Griffith has done here. But I was thinking, if they were if they were pulling out of this base and starting to turn already, or if they were pulling out of this base and going to the left and then turning to the right, uh, I think you could match up the word balloons for each vehicle with its vehicle. So not unclear, not a problem, just a little icing on the cake thing. I feel like the the word balloon placement and the the, the visual order of the information in the panel uh, could be uh, a little could be aligned uh, differently. Yeah, yeah. I think if they if they'd reworded that that dialogue into a just slightly different ordering, they could have done that left to to right. So, um, you know, Hawk could be whoever it is that's speaking could be saying that we've got uh, behind us. We've got an M as the tail end Charlie. Uh, then there's us in the the Humvee or whatever it is. Then we've got th three hem uh, hemp's, and at right at the front we've got the mind clearing buffalo. And then you'd be able to sort of put the dialogue balloons in above each of those vehicles, and potentially have that stretch all the way across the two panels, and and lead the eye and make sure that you know you are reading it then in the correct order as well. But yeah, but then you'd also be covering up more of the art, and it might not look as satisfying. So no way to to really win. <laughs> cool that this was actually going to be this panel was going to be my my hammer time that um we we see we often see um larry you know introduce each each of the joes or the characters by by name through some device maybe as they're checking their um checking their parachutes before they make the jump and they're they're checking their buddy or, or that kind of thing and uh yeah here they're doing it with uh vehicles in, instead with the the buffalo the mrap the three hempts a gun truck uh and another mrap uh on the on the end yeah interesting uh, interesting to see it with the vehicles rather than the, the the people i just want to say again how i was smiling the entire time i was reading this comic because <laughs> this pushes almost all of my gi joe buttons excellent We've not really great action, great dialogue, new character, some mystery. Uh, it's it's fast paced. Yeah, we've not really talked about the the new character first. So we've got we've got Sherlock, the new character being introduced, and um, the latest in a in a uh, relatively long line of strong female characters being introduced by uh, Larry as part of the new IDW run. You know, which includes Dawn and uh demon granny and uh oh <laughs> in my head i had a whole bunch um helix pale peony, pale peony um some of just the, the 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 guest cast um as as has gone along uh bomb uh, although bomb strike sorry, uh, um, I, th I think pale peony shows up in the devil's yeah she was introduced storm in shadow. devil's okay. juice storm shadow yeah uh um it's also worth pointing out 
and you know it's obvious if you read the comic this new character sherlock is black mm-hmm. and in the marvel and idw real american hero this is the first black female joe ah. uh in issue one of the marvel run back in 82 oh yes when all the joes are getting um, identified on a computer screen we see all of them and their names are underneath and out of the original 13 there's a there's a 14th one who's obstructed and i forget if it's by like a hand or the credits or whatever someone's head and you know you have these names you know like stalker and you know like it's like he-man names right like stinkor and walker and climber (laughs) and you know digger um and so there's this little joke in issue one of gi joe back in 82 where this this additional joe that uh it's just a throwaway gag in one panel and if you're a kid, you probably don't even pay attention to it. This Joe is identified as Shooter, and we can't see the Joe. And it's just a gag because uh, the editor-in-chief at Marvel at the time was Jim Shooter. And every so often, I think a fan would sort of wonder, like, oh, well, is that actually a character, or could that be? And during the Devil's Due run, uh, Larry Hama wrote a three-issue miniseries called G.I. Joe Declassified, mm-hmm. which is the mission before issue number one, before Marvel issue number one which reveals who Shooter is, and it is a black female. And besides that, uh, there's some Hasbro concept art for a figure that was pitched uh, in the 80s or 90s of a black female medic. And in the IDW run Mm -hmm. that was not the continued Marvel run, that character is sort of transposed into that new continuity as a new version of Doc, mm-hmm. that rather than a black male, like in Real American Hero, Doc is a black female. And so Sherlock is, in some ways, the first black female Joe. Uh, and in other ways, it's like only the third. The the blurb that they've got in the back of the book is quite, quite interesting. So I thought I might just uh, read, read that out. A, and a new Joe joins the rank. I'm personally beyond ecstatic, this is Tom Waltz writing, as Sergeant Regina Allen, codenamed Sherlock, is a character who's been bouncing around in my head for two decades now. Here's the story behind the story. In the early 2000s, I had an idea for a story about an African-American female military policeman from Detroit who suffers a severe injury in battle and is later recruited by a super secret super soldier program that gives her a new high-tech arm and a new mission. That was far as I got, but the character, nameless all these years, was never far from me. Cut to the present, and I had the opportunity to share my idea with living legend Larry Hammer. I figured I was never going to pen this tale myself, so why not see if the best of the best would do it instead? To my happiness, Larry, and later Hasbro, agreed to bring my anonymous MP hero to life in the hallowed pages of G.I. Joe A-Ra. So, I finally gave her a name, code name and a backstory. Then Larry and I got down to the business of incorporating my origin story into his legendary ongoing tome, while recruiting artist Andrew Griffiths alongside the indomitable Jay Brown to give her a kick-butt look. And here we are, after all these years, what a cathartic experience it's been watching Larry's team turn Sherlock into the amazing soldier hero I'd always dreamed she'd become. So there we go. The the story behind the story on on Sherlock, and interestingly, I guess at least in my mind, 
Larry responding to the challenge of here's an idea, a, a concept, a, a character to introduce to the book. Um, you respond to that and um, rising to the challenge and producing, um, you know, s- uh, some some very good work as as a result. And um, you know, it's it's been you know a, a subject of con- conjecture between between me and and some of the uh, previous uh, Joe talking Joe hosts about you know that that some of that external impetus in terms of the original book of going look here's a new character new you know vehicle you know have at it and trying to to you know work that up into some sort of sensible story that fits in with the wider chronology as as you know it's been something that that Larry has has always uh, risen to the to the challenge for so i wonder if it's it's somewhat an extension of of that Diana, do you want to weigh in here? Thoughts on Sherlock or or hearing about her at the beginning? So Larry's strength is that because he started this book with, here's a set that you must somehow put together. Here are the pieces. Go. That had faded. <laughs> you know, Hasbro has backed off. They don't, it, he no longer has mm. a, you must fit this in here because we've already shot the commercial. Uh but yeah. he does run well with that. Here is a character, go with her. Here's kind of, you know, and and so uh, there's a less, I guess other writers might have an issue with being told, you must put her there. And no one ever says now, you must do this. But the character was introduced, I really want to use her. Here's my ideas for what we've got coming on. And to his credit, he takes it and goes. If Larry ever doesn't like something, he just says no. You know, no. Mm. And I've seen it happen where, can we do this? Sorry, no. There are very few things that he says that about it. But when he does, you don't argue with the no. Of course not. This is his book. But he Mm -hmm. really did well with this character. And I think he's enjoying introducing new Joes. And whether it comes from his head or somebody else's, there's there's a few more on the way. It, it helps keep the book fresh as well. It's a lot easier to flesh yeah. out a new Joe than to remember four decades of old Joes in a way. And I'm not saying that mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. does that by preference because it's easier. It's also more interesting to create a new character as well, I think, and combine them with the two. And I think sort of, when you see this book, you notice, as you pointed out, Mongoose and for the most part Sherlock are in very basic togs. And then you've mm-hmm. got Hawk and Stalker standing out. And of course the Cobras all stand out. But you've got Hawk and Stalker who really stick out in that group. And in a way, this is like bridging yeah. two OG Joes, two new Joes in the modern era, and bridging the gap between them. Uh, no one's being left behind, but it's a nice easing into like, here's some new Joes, which people have been asking for. We need new Joes, Joes that are of today. Mm. And so we're getting them. And I kind of like the bridge. But to Larry's credit, again, if someone comes up with an idea or something and says, "Could is, this sounds good, he'll go with it. And, and he really has run with this mm. character. It, it's almost like he already knew her. And yeah. I kind of want to know because Larry bases people on people he knows. I kind of want to know who yeah, he's seeing yeah. in his head when he writes for her. One of my hopes is that we will see, I, I know that Hasbro's not, Hasbro's sticking to the 
core Joe and Cobra characters for toys right now. But we did get a shooter action figure. And the moment Mongoose showed up, you know, we're not going to get a granny demon figure and we're not going to get a pale peony figure. But the moment Mongoose showed up, I thought, I wonder if in two years, five years, in a general release or a convention exclusive or, you know, Hasbro.com, uh, might we get a Mongoose figure? Uh, and, and as soon as Sherlock was announced, particularly the cover of Chapter 2, where mm. she's now got a specific costume, I wondered... It's it's because I don't think it's a matter of if actually I think it's a matter of when. Yeah, yeah there yeah. is a you can find it online. Somebody, Daniel Hostetter, has already done a Sherlock custom. Is she's beautiful. So if you look around, I, I've seen him on Facebook, um, he, and it's it's fantastic. His 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 Sherlock custom. I've seen two or three people already saying, could we have a classified mongoose? And this is how Joe's talk to Hasbro Joe fans. Like, could we have? Because honestly, it's it's kind of a, we like this, ooh, we want this. And the fact that it's something new that uh, two or three people have already said, I, I want this, could, could you possibly make it? And, and with this particular character, I can see it working really well in the classified line. Mm-hmm. I also, something else that I like about Sherlock is that when, when certain character types or tropes in G.I. Joe lightly remind me of other character types or tropes in history or comics history, that's always fun. You know, like, you know, like G.I. Joe has this lineage to uh, Nick Fury, right? Because of the Larry Hama Fury Force pitch. So here we have uh, a black woman getting a cybernetic arm. And I can't help but think of Misty Knight Mm. from Marvel Comics and I don't mean this in a bad way. This is not this is not a criticism of Hama or of, of Tom Waltz. I think it's fun. And then in terms of in the story, right, at the end of this issue, um, she gets introduced to a couple other Joes. I love that Law and Order show up because Sherlock's an MP and Law's an MP. And um, I love it when the the Joes who have the same or overlapping specialties get to do stuff together. Like, let's go, let's go have the two laser troopers, you know, have a picnic or let's have all the pilots have an issue to themselves. Um, and then similarly, this scene where Sightline shows up and he reveals that he has a cybernetic part. He has a, a, a replacement limb um, is really powerful. And um, I'm, I'm both as both as sort of a character reminder. It's like, oh right, there's another reason why Sightline is so interesting besides the sort of origin of the toy, and then he's been in a couple issues before. Um, something else that I think about when I read GI Joe. In a previous episode, I talked about one of the ways that I rate if I like an issue or not is how much I would want to give it to someone to read, mm. particularly someone who hasn't read GI Joe. Um, there's a nonprofit called Operation Comics Relief. Comics spelled with an X. And it ships small care packages of comics to U.S. soldiers stationed overseas. And um, and I have very lightly known the guy in charge for uh, uh, se- several years. And, um, you know, like we've read in the letters pages of G.I. Joe where uh, a soldier or a former soldier writes in and says, like, oh, I appreciated this scene or... Um, 
you know, G.I. Joe was inspirational to me when I was a kid and it made me think of the military. I, when I when I read an issue like this, I think this would be a good issue to pass on to someone as a representation of G.I. Joe. But specifically, um, I would love I would love to get this issue into the hands of some soldiers who are sitting on a base halfway around the world, like bored and waiting for something to happen. Because I feel like it it is it is it is exciting. It is authentic. And you know this scene where Sherlock is in a hospital bed and receives this bad news, but then gets some hope from Sightline. Like no no no, this arm is going to be awesome for you. This scene feels great. Yeah, I thought that. The Perky Nerd also has a box that to donate to that program. Uh, another comic that that would work with, not in the ARH line, would be Paul Aller's uh, alternate universe G.I. Joe number seven, which deals with PTSD in a very real way. And I, I, I wanted that shipped, not just to, to soldiers. I mean, I used to deal with students with PTSD. Uh, who have similar reactions, not because they were in battle across seas, but because their childhoods were very traumatic. And I, I, I wanted to get that into the hands of teens who've dealt with it. That is awesome. Both of these are issues that would be really good to send. Uh, on a complete side note, when I see Regina Allen and Law, and I'm about to go full geek here, sorry, full nerd, this reminds me, <laughs> and, and if you can cue up the theme music, that'd be great, of cops fighting crime in a future time. Cops, central organization of police specialists, fighting crime in a future time, protecting Empire City from Big Boss and his gang of crooks. property that actually has a link to G.I. Joe through one character. And Larry wrote the file cards which is for the cop's toys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this she's a cop. She's cybernetic. And then there's other cops and G.I. Joe. So I, I just, it, I hope that Larry doesn't feel bad or weird about that, but it really does link me to cops, which I also loved as a kid. Um. I was just going to note for for those less familiar with the with the character that uh, the the Misty Knight link was the Misty Knight is from yeah Marvel Universe. She's a, a former NYPD police officer whose arm was amputated following a bomb attack and received a bionic prosthetic arm from Tony Stark. Uh, she went on to start a private investigation agency with close friend Colleen Wing. And yeah, it was in, uh, I think, also in that similar guys featured on the uh, the Netflix 
uh, Marvel universe as as well. Following up from uh, Diana's point about sort of having these these new characters, it looks like we are getting quite a, a team sort of that is populated by relatively new characters. So we've got Sherlock. Um, we are introduced on panel for the first time to Caseload, the the Jag uh, specialist. Uh, we have a speech bubble indicating that they are going to join Bottom Line, the the Joe accountants, and uh, once again we we also see um, Sightline as well, um, who's a relatively new Joe, and as as well as Mongoose. So yeah, a, a, an issue populated with a fair few new Joes, but also pointing to a to a team which we're I guess going to have a bit of a spotlight on that is primarily uh, new Joes with. Uh, uh, stalker there is the um the echo to the uh to the past and the connecting uh line so that it still very much feels like gi joe i also got the sense reading that panel where caseload shows up and bottom line shows up i also wondered if this was just a one panel appearance and that though it feels like they're on this team i can also mm. you know larry will sometimes just jump ahead like two weeks uh, just right into the middle of a, uh, the next chunk of a story. So I could also see in the next chapter, all right, they're already in DC. They're dealing with this stuff. Like caseloads on the phone. Bottom line is done something off panel between the issues. Mm-hmm. I'd be happy either way. I do note that Chuckles and Helix are on the cover of the next issue. Mm-hmm. Also in, in, a, in this category of uh, my inconsistent standards and how it's just not fair, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> when... When Hama creates a new Joe who's dealing with logistics or paperwork uh, like caseload or um, bottom line, I think, hey, that's neat. When Chuck Dixon did it at the beginning of the IDW continuity that was its own new thing, Mm -hmm. um, even though it makes sense, I thought, I don't like that. (laughs) So I'm sorry, it's not fair. That is an inconsistent standard, but here, I love it. (laughs) Okay, anything else to call out? Uh, Yeah, we have talked about the chunk of Joe's there. I will also point out Duke may not be in this issue, but Claire is. And I've often wondered if Claire is going to evolve or is she just going to stay sort of where she is, which is kind of Doc's role, and R.I.P. Doc, but she's she's now their bedside manner. She's their caretaker, and she she makes sure she puts the Joes back together, literally in some cases. Mm-hmm. That that question of whether or not she's going to become a Joe, show up more or show up less, I get the sense from everything about how Hama writes that uh, he may not know. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many characters, the book only comes out once a month. And, you know, a year from now, some story idea occurs to him and he thinks, oh, I can bring her back in. You know, like writers talk about how characters take on lives of their own. Uh, Diana, you're in a you're in a position where you can sort of cheerlead behind the scenes for this if you want to see it happen. In the same way that I'm ready for G.I. Joe. Like everyone who's drawn a good issue of G.I. Joe, I want them back to draw another issue of G.I. Joe. And, you know, I'm always ready for the book to go bi-weekly or weekly. Um, so uh, to answer your your half-asked question, um, should Claire show up more or become a Joe? Yes. I'd love that. Yeah, I, I really like the Claire character. And uh, people may seem shocked by that because, again, cartoon, right? 
Diana, you must hate Claire. No, I don't, because I keep Comic Duke and Cartoon Duke sort of separate in my head. I think Claire is awesome. She's fantastic. She's sort of a, a, a completion of the Duke Brig brother taking care of people. She also literally puts Joes back together. I would like to see more of her. The one place I'm careful in is pushing Duke too much. I don't at all. If, if someone asks a question, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll joke about it, maybe. But I really think she's an intriguing character I want to see more of, even if she never leaves the pit, which apparently she's there now all the time. Interesting, you know, that's hella clearance she's got now. I'd love to see more of her. I really would. But if we're going to see her, if she, if she becomes a Joe, I want her to have a costume and not just always look like a like a doctor in scrubs. Even, you know, Shipwreck's costume, not realistic. Oh, yeah. But I still and, need you know, to see it. Do, do we spirit and, and sort of the, the, the more crazier, iconic Joes? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I kind of think I might not want her to have a costume. If she has one, I want it to be sort of basic. I, I don't want it to be too crazy. I like where she's at. More, more Doc and less Lifeline? Yeah, more Claire and less Lifeline. <laughs> I don't want her to stand out in battle. How about that? I don't want anyone to go like, there she is, get her. Because... Uh, it's not, based on what she does, no, I don't think I don't she's going to she go into would. battle. I think she's just going to... She's the, 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 the pill pusher, the, 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 the stitcher back together of Joe's. Those are... Hmm, those are uh -oh. almost code pill names. Pusher. <laughs> pill, pill pusher and stitcher? Hmm. Hmm. As long as she's not, like, Miss Duke or something silly like that. Which Larry would never do. But, you know, I kind of like Claire. And then, of course, like, shades of Claire Huxtable. But I like Claire Hauser. She's, what you see is what you get. You know that when you're in her care, she's going to be good. Maybe they go, yeah, say to her, Claire, what, what code name should you be? And they go, please, I've got important stuff to do here. Stop wasting my time. Yeah. I spy, I spy with, with my, my little eye. eye. Uh, well, I, I spy. Um, I spy a fang. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, a cobra fang. Right, an early uh, vehicle that we uh, rarely see, or we, we don't see much anymore, mm -hmm. um, shows up. I spy that it is piloted by a vapor, which is uh, a fun. Uh, sort of mix, right? Old vehicle, newer character, mm -hmm. but also that it gets used in a way that is specific to its function, mm. right? Like little helicopter for a quick extraction of one important character, yep. right? Like, you know, you could do this scene lots of ways. You could have a rattler or a hurricane show up and drop a ladder. So uh, I spy Vapor and I, uh, I spy a Fang. And we already said it, but, you know, Sightline. I, I spy, spy Sightline. <laughs> Another, ha-ha, some pun in there because this code name. Uh, I spy a Gyro Viper, which was the pilot that came with the Cobra Mamba helicopter in 1987. You know what I, you know what I don't spy? After several issues with uh, Techno Vipers, doing Techno Viper things, mm -hmm. which you know is a thing I like. I don't spy any Techno Vipers in this issue, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I spy no Techno Vipers. Yeah, I was going to have a very facetious one here. I spy Misty Knight. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, someone else. Those uh, those were the ones that, uh, yeah, I spotted that I've that we've not talked about at length. Was anything else from um, 
either of you, Diana, anything else that you, you noticed in there in the detail? Uh, well, I don't know. See, when, like I say, I read three or four times and for some reason I'm fixated on that. There's a potted plant in Claire in the, in the room. And I'm like, <laughs> who gives someone a potted plant? I mean, that means you're going to be there for a while. Right. <laughs> are you, are you coming up with her plant code name? Potter. Plant Potter? Oh, evergreen! Ever, I like evergreen. that one. That's fresh and new. I just, I just, I, it's there for someone deliberately put a potted plant there, right? And it's not in the script. But when you got a potted plant and a little picture by it, you, you you're long term. That um, that is not a picture. <laughs> oh, that's a clock. Okay, there we if go. You look on the next. Well, page. even yet, I personally wouldn't put a clock in a hotel room. A hotel room. Sorry, in a hospital room, I wouldn't, because no one wants to know how long they've been in a hospital room. But yeah, that for some reason I just like. Check out that plant. Who gives people potted plants? Mm. Well, they're deep on un- they're deep underground in the in the pit. You know, good for oxygenating the air, keeping Not things so- a bit fresh. Not the worst I think, idea. I think this is less a gift to the patient or the doctor, and more a choice on the the part of the doctor to brighten up a drab right? room. Claire Hauser, she takes care of you. <laughs> uh, yeah. What uh, kind of plant is that? See, these um, are the things I get fixated on. What is that plant? Is it a aspidistera? What I don't know. You you I have know, the I artist's should ask email. Him. It's just probably <laughs> probably best not to bother More him comics. since he's busy yeah, drawing to- two eighty five. Andrew, or I have a really what important question. <laughs> Stop the. And it, it <laughs> bigger a bit yeah i don't know i've gotten into the sentence that launched a thousand dioramas right it's like oh i'm I'm doing the the hospital room in the pit where claire fixes uh sherlock and there's this potted things like that though like i have this fascination for desks of creators whenever i see a photo of like any not necessarily just comics just any kind of creator film tv artists if they show their desk I'm going to be scanning like every little detail. Well, what are his little desk toys? And what has he got on there? What kind of plants? What kind of things? I don't know why. I want to do a coffee table book of desks of the creative people. But yeah, even even when I read comics, <laughs> what's on their desks? Because what you put on your desk or your bedside table says something about you, who you are as a person. And I love those little things. And also I like picking up that there aren't as many Easter eggs as there used to be when Shannon was drawing the book. And, and he mm-hmm. put in so many tiny little details that weren't scripted, both Easter eggs and not. Like a glance, a look, a something. He put it in there because it fits, right? But the, you know, I, again, Easter eggs, little tiny details. I, I go bananas for those. Mark, I have one more tiny I spy. And that is on cover A, just above Sherlock's head, there is a G.I. Joe logo on this mm-hmm. uh, on looks like a Humvee, yeah. but it might be the other kind of vehicle. And I wondered if this was sort of a hammer or if this is an authentic vehicle that it's not the Joes and someone has slapped a Joe yeah. logo on it. You could have just um, got, yeah, a sticker, you know, a car sticker, the, slapped it on. The, the more I'm talking about it, the more I wonder if this is less an eye spy and more of an error detected. Uh, I like it. I'm just sort of pretending that it's it's sort of like this isn't quite a hammer, but it's not quite the authentic. I think Hawk is majorly vehicle. into branding, so he just carries like bumper stickers wherever <laughs> he goes and slaps it on there yeah. when no one's looking. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, what was the vehicle that they were in um, in the in in Snake Hunt? It was um, the the command SUV or the command um, 
or Lincoln, like a Lincoln or something, or an Escalade or something like that. Yeah, yeah, the saloon. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, no, this isn't just a Lincoln. This is a G.I. Joe Lincoln. Brand it. There you go. <laughs> there it goes. Brand it. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on then to error detected. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Hawk's hair color at the end. Ooh. So. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Hawk was blonde in the comics for mm-hmm. like 200 issues. And at some point, I don't remember when, in this IDW continuation of the Marvel run, his hair just went to brown, which wasn't explained. But, you know, in these scenes where Duke and Hawk are next to each other, it's sometimes a little confusing who's who. Mm-hmm. You know, the toy, it's inconclusive because the first Hawk toy is blonde. The second Hawk toy has brown hair. Um, the blonde Hawk doesn't show up on the cartoon, though he does show up in some commercials. But uh, in the cartoon, he just has brown hair. And when a couple years ago in the comic, his hair switched to brown, I thought, huh, that's weird. Well, it's, it makes it clearer. Okay, I'm fine with it. Um, and in this scene at the end, uh, I actually didn't know who this was who came into the room because... Um, he's wearing a black military dress uniform, and I don't, I don't, I think that I think the Marines have a black military dress uniform, but they have blue pants. So uh, I couldn't tell who this was from the color on the uniform. Um, on uh, there's the panel where Order is licking Sherlock. Abernathy is sort of scratched into the name tag on this person's. I don't. I think uh, that's supposed to um, be black. There was discussion, usually started by me, over what to do with the dress uniform colors because they went to the sort of blues, right? They went to the sort of blues a while back. And recently, they're starting to shift to the what is called, I don't know what the military calls it, but the pinks and the greens, which is a callback to the 40s and before. And because Joe's time is always right now, you know, that, that's where we are. Where What time are we in now? In the 80s, it was now. And right now, it's now. We don't use the greens anymore. So Joe shifted from the greens to the blues. And there had been discussion, well, what color is that? Is it going to be the dress blues? Are we going to shift the Joes to the pinks and greens? And I think it was supposed to be left to the blues. It's hard to color that and make it look, you know, the, the exact right blue in the shading. So I'm pretty sure it's not meant to look black or gray so much as like the slate blue dress uniform. Mm-hmm. And check out the fruit salad on his chest, though. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, two months have passed. I think earlier on in the issue, it did look like the peaks that we did get his hair. It looked a bit brown. But two months has passed. Maybe, you know, maybe Hawk's just one of these guys that is constantly, uh, you know, changing his hair color and his uh Veering between uh, the blonde and the and the brown, and possibly Tim, even the gray. When you were a kid, watching or reading the comic, did you have trouble telling Duke and Hawk apart? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that the uh, you would know more than me because you've done the research. I'm pretty sure the cartoon deliberately had him as brunette, so you it would be simple, and that's where the change was made, and probably that's why they went that way in the comic. But sometimes mm-hmm. that 
leaves. I know that the people who worked on Joe also had trouble telling them apart, mostly because I'll ask, like when I asked Trippy and others for a sketch of Duke, often, sometimes the first thing I'd get back would be Hawk, and I'd say, no, no, different guy. And they just slap a bandolier on it, and that's good. <laughs> like, if you look at my Trimpy sketch of Duke, it has a little bit of V1 Hawk in it. If you look at J. Scott Campbell's cover to classic G.I. Joe Volume 1, mm. which was first published by Marvel in 2002 as G.I. Joe Volume 1, right? It's J. Scott Campbell's redraw of the Trimpy McLeod issue number one cover uh, with with a bunch of original 13 guys. And that's that's basically yeah. Duke. Yeah. That's not Hawk mm-hmm. on the cover. But he's sort of colored like both. Um, anyway, I, I wish Hawk's hair were brown in this end scene, and uh, I hear you on the changing colors of what his uniform might be. Yeah. But the the black was was confusing to me, and I think the blue or yeah, the green it seems like it's almost a shade that is between the green and the blue. So we're like ah there, boom, and maybe it's a specific Joe color because Joe has all of the branches of the military, so they get their own. Mm-hmm. dress uniform color we could go with that uh i'll take I, I maybe we'll recolor hawk's hair in the trades that that can always be brought up I, don't know. I, could, I could bring it up yay there's also been talk about maybe we should just <laughs> give duke that scar you know the old gi joe scar just put that there mm. and then you'll know um yeah i mean certainly in in the i think in the idw chuck dixon verse Duke had that scar in the end, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and they put was uh, that was that trying to sort of refer to the first live I, action I movie? I couldn't tell you what Chuck was thinking. It might have been just to tell him apart, or the fact that when they redid the when they started doing twelve inch toys again with the Target exclusive Duke way back when, they put this the the backwards thumbnail and the scar on his cheek. And I've seen other Duke toys now with the scar on it, just as a callback to the OG Joe. Yeah, right. So it would make sense. That, yeah. that it would be there as a part of the character. Exactly. You think you think you know OG Joe the scar on the 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 cheek and and you think GI Joe sent you know front and center. I guess the poster boy for for GI Joe is basically Duke, isn't it? So it's like you know dotted line to to connect the connect. Yeah. The can two. you imagine had they actually killed the uh, character in the movie? They'd have to choose a new one. Something. So there's another way, and this is this is this the onus here is on all the artists, right? Drawing this book that's already impossible to draw because there's so many characters and there's so much specificity. One of the things that I love about issue 26, right? Larry Hama, not just as a writer, but as a, a penciler breakdown artist, is so good. Hawk in that issue looks 15 years older than Duke, which he should. And I'm okay with, you know, like sort of everyone in comics, like Batman and Superman and, I mean, not not Robin, but, you know, Batman and Superman and uh, like Kyle Rayner and also Hal Gardner, excuse me, Hal Jordan. You know, there's sort of this like forever 30, you know, like they're not 25, they're not 40. But in G.I. Joe, you know, Hawk should have not wrinkles under his eyes, but wrinkles under his eyes. Um, you know, Duke is older than some of the Joes because he's the first sergeant. Um, Hawk is older than everyone. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard to pull off, but that, that is another way to differentiate. Yeah, and his, Shannon his always makes Hawk look like he's getting up there. I remember in the cartoon also mm-hmm. uh, his voice 
had sort of that mm. weight of age to it, sort of that gravelly, might have smoked a bit in his past life. And, you know. <laughs> uh, and in the Deke episodes, uh, he actually does yeah. have a line under each eye. The the version three mm-hmm. costume with the jetpack. In the Deke episodes, he he in the model sheet, he is an older yeah. uh, person yeah. than the other Joes. I, I, I was expecting you to say that there. And in the Deke animation, Hawk does have a cigarette <laughs> hanging out the corner of his mouth in some of it. That's not pro-social. <laughs> That's not pro-social at all. Uh, He's an old man with a jetpack, so there's that. Cool. Uh, the the error detected, which is this segment, guys, by the way, um, <laughs> that I spotted was uh, no necks. Now I might be I might be on the on the button here, or I might uh, I might be exposing my own ignorance, but um, I think that uh, it should have been no mex with an M. Um, Nomex is a flame-resistant meta-aramid material developed in the early 1960s by DuPont and first marketed in 1967. So um, Al Calbra is talking about uh, the fact that there was this explosion and he's not caught fire because he had uh, Nomex and that uh, his, uh, his, the fellow person in, I guess, the gyro viper in the, in, the, in the helicopter should also have been wearing that and uh, missed out. Is the no prize that? Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that is that word uh, a copyright or a trademark? And so in the comic, this is uh, changing one letter, so it's not referring to a specific company or product. Thank you, Tim. Yes, I was going to try and no prize it, and that was going to be pretty much the thing that. Yeah, in the in the GI Joe verse, there's a specific uh, branded material called No Necks, which um, is what the Cobras wear. Diana. Oh, I, I can't pick out any errors. It's perfect in every way. Um, for no necks, I just, my no prizes, you know, we have nicknames of stuff that we use. I have friends who catch me. There's a restaurant I always call by the wrong name, but they know what I'm talking about because they know me. And so, you know, that's just what he calls it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it scans, you know, non-explosable. Yeah. We just have to get to know right. Al Cabra better, <laughs> to know all of his um, little ticks. Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. You'll get to know him better. He's going to be in the next few issues. He may be unmasked cool. before the end of it. Cool. Also, uh, since I was reading the comic thinking, man, I sure want a mongoose and a Sherlock toy. I also thought I want an Al Cabra toy in this costume, even if it's someone else, mm-hmm. even if uh, you know there's going to be some identifiable identifiable cobra costume underneath uh this costume the sentence that launched a thousand action figure mm-hmm. customers well that that sort of blue hood looks like it could be that sort of rubberized plastic that you could remove and there could be a reveal of the actual person's face underneath potentially i dig it i'm not sure hasbro would ever make an actual one but the custom should come i mean it's a cool figure to customize he's got all sorts of explodey bits he wears and the sunglasses are cool. You could get little tiny dinky ones, maybe even a 12-inch Alcabra. Save it for the innu- innuendo. Yeah, so uh, next up, I was going to go to colloquialisms. There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding, but now there's a new player in town, a comic book writer of 
of some renown. He's using real-world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples. It's a Larry Hammer colloquialism. He's talking G.I. Joe and all its heroism. Can you guess what it is? Is it something new? Now listen as Larry drops a slice of real life on you. So the one that I noticed was Upkiss, which I don't remember being in Joe before. Could well have done. Uh, Hawk says that they came up with Bupkis, as in they came up with nothing. So Bupkis means absolutely nothing, comes from the Yiddish Bobkes, B-O-B-K-E-S, meaning nonsense or nothing, and it emerged in English during the early 20th century, uh, began as North American Jewish slang, but is now used more broadly and uh, features nicely in Branvan 3000's Drinking in L.A. We did nothing absolutely Kiss that day. Let's move on to our favourite line of dialogue. Quote of the week, 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 quote of the week. Diana, did you have one? You know, I'd have to sift through. Um, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of good at the ending when she's like, I don't want a pity assignment, you know, and it's, Here's another interesting thing. I'm going to say that that page, those two panels, you have two women talking to each other, not mentioning guys. So, you know, it passes the Bechdel test, which is good. They don't mention a dude. They don't mention, they're just talking about what's going on. So I do want to sort of, oh, doggies. I do want to point out the Bechdel test being passed right there in those two panels. Uh, yeah, I think we expect it of uh, of Hammer at this point. Oh, yeah, it goes without saying. Okay, uh, mine was uh, that sequence we talked about earlier. So um, the Vapor is calling from the, the Fang helicopter. He says, grab the skids. I'll get you out of here. Al Cobra, I'm not baggage. I fly first class. Blam. These Fangs can't attain top speed when overloaded. Um, yeah, love it. <laughs> Before I tell you my favorite line, I, I found another error detected, <laughs> which I had forgotten and not written down. Okay. Uh, two months later in Utah, so we see the pit from the top, from the outside, the three Quonset huts. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks like it's not in the middle of the desert. It looks like it's at the, the foot of a mountain, which I'm going to um, no prize away as uh, uh, the same way that... Um, uh, in, in military past history, they'd make fake planes or they'd put um, planes under hangars with um, like netting that looks like foliage to fool planes or spy satellites overhead. That the Joes will sometimes um, arrange a different topography around the pit um, to add to its uh, mystery and uh, make it harder to uh, find. Okay, my favorite line, actually, Mark, is your favorite line, uh, where Alcabra rejects the vapors, which I have to say vapor, because uh, that's how I see it spelled, offer. These fangs can't attain top speed when overloaded. Uh, it's, it's cool, because in the scene, this bad guy is being extra bad by offing another bad guy. Mm-hmm. But it's a reminder of the physicality of this particular vehicle, which is not something that I would think of if I was writing a G.I. Joe story. I'm not gonna 
not going to think, oh, you know, the fang's really small. And if you put two other guys on the runners, it's going to go slower or it's going to burn more of its fuel, right? I would never think that. And so that this is this uh, topper uh, on this little exchange that reinforces something specific about this vehicle, about its place in the story of G.I. Joe and Cobra, and yet also it, it represents this bad guy being extra bad. Mm. So um, we'll get to uh, Yo Joeage, I think, uh, and rate this thing. Uh, Diana is uh, is allowed to be impartial on this one and sit it out, uh, but also welcome to join in and uh, risk your career as well. That's that's both well, acceptable. Well, I'll, I'll bow out, but before you rate it, I do want to mention that this one is selling out. This one is selling oh, out. Yeah. The numbers are impressive. And already, uh, according to what we've been told, um, orders for 282 are up. So this issue Excellent. is, however you rate it, it seems to be well-anticipated and well-liked. Mm, mm. uh, any talk of a second printing I would of 281? hope. I know people. There's, there's certain covers that are being found very hard to get to. So I'm hoping that it will go to second printing. Uh, I'll let you know as soon as I know. But it, 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 we got the news on Wednesday that um, this one is doing really well. Which of course, yay Tom. I mean, he. This is you know his his character, his baby, and yay team. But. Yeah, this one, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I am impressed that it is uh, pre-order numbers for 282 have gone up. It may even be oversold at Diamond. So I'm hoping to get more details on exactly what's going on and that I can tell you reprints are on the way for those who weren't able to get theirs. Hopefully. Cool. That's what we That's what we want to hear about this book. You know, the more it sells, the uh, more we're going to... Keep on getting it, which is... Um, uh, I should point out that um, I think it's 283 um, does not have a 1 in 10 ratio variant cover. It has a 1 in 15 ratio variant cover. So for anyone who's listening uh, who um, orders a certain quantity or works with a retailer to get that particular variant, um, just so you know... There's an upcoming variant that's going to be a little harder to get yeah. than normal. And if 282 mm. does well, because this story is really, the issues are great. It's just action-packed, and it's fantastic. It's a kind of a classic Joe. I'm actually, I have the PDS for 283 to go over today, the final ones to finalize. So I'm looking at them right now, and you'll, you'll be thrilled with them. It, it looks fantastic. This whole run has been fantastic. Excellent. There are going to be some people popping up from the past. There's going to be some new people. There's going to be lots of shooty shoot shoots and blowing ups and <laughs> rat -a tat tats and blam blam blams and, and all sorts of fun and excitement. Uh, <laughs> My Yojo score is seven. And when I read the issue, I thought, oh, this is an eight. It's, it's not a seven, uh, sorry, because of the hair color at the end, because this, this one doesn't really count about points, um, but uh, I, wish the, I wish the font for the letters page was smaller, because I feel like there's only ever one or two letters, and in the older issues, there'd always be three or four. Uh, but I also understand that 
letters were arriving at Marvel by the thousands and tens of thousands, and the numbers are much lower now, particularly because someone can just like post their review on Facebook or mm-hmm. their own website, and to them they've like expressed their opinion, whereas back then you would have written it and mailed it in. Um, yeah. I know that so, they're getting, um, they're definitely getting letters in that they are not publishing because someone who we may or may not know, who we may or may not be talking right now, has <laughs> sent some in that have not been published. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry to whoever that person may be. We'll As never someone know who's who had is. two or three letters published in G.I. Joe, I have to say it feels amazing. And until mm-hmm. it happens, um, <laughs> your life just isn't complete. I wrote yeah. tons of letters as a kid and never got them in. I have gotten oh. one letter in. And you're right. It, it feels like great. Oh boy! And and you'll nope. never get a letter in again because you've, you've worked never on it. Again. So, when did you get your letter, Diana? Just recently, in the last couple of years, and of course, it was asking about Duke. And and <laughs> what I got, and I'm sorry if this takes extra time. What I got over the years as a Joe fan that really made me happy, and I can say it here. I've said it before. Is in the early times when we were kids and reading, there was an interview somewhere where Larry Hama, they asked him, well, they're Joes you don't like. And he said, Duke. And I went, oh, crushing. And then for years, Mm. years at conventions, people knowing who I am because I'm so crazily specific (laughs) would run up to me and go, hey, good to see you, blah, 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 blah. Larry Hama hates Duke. And, and I'd be like, oh, thanks. Let's relive that scene in my life repeatedly over and over every convention. Oh, crushing. It hurts. <laughs> and I never really brought it up to him when I would run into him because I just, it's not worth going over. And I understand the difference between saying one thing in an interview and fans clinging to it and then flinging it at someone not because they want to hurt that person, but because comic fans aren't always like the most smooth conversationalists. So they just want to come up with something that you might share. Duke, Diana, Larry Hama, Larry hates Duke. Hey, want to go out for coffee? No, that's okay. You can have coffee yourself, Dicks. But in recent <laughs> issues, someone, you know, Larry has mentioned, you know, someone said, is there, is there a Joe that you found newfound love for? And he's like, Duke, because I finally got my head wrapped around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who he is as a character and I can write for him. Because when he was introduced, I guess it was kind of more rah, rah, rah. You know, if you look at the, some of the earlier stuff from Hasbro on him, it's kind of like, wow, that's, that's extra like self-promotional but now he's got his head right and so that 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 beats out any letter is when larry's like yeah you know what i really kind of like duke now i've got my head wrapped around him i know who he is and i can write for him so bing that was my the thrill i forgot to say the other half reason why this got a seven and not an eight for me which is that um as much as i like this issue and the ending there's no tiny cliffhanger like the like if if the final two panels had set up some like little element of danger or betrayal i got to the end and i thought yeah that was a great issue <laughs> oh, I, I wish i wish the final panel had been something like you know like but there's gonna be trouble in <laughs> i think they sort of larry was still in uh, uh, untold tales mode where he was encapsulating a whole story in one book because yeah that, that's mm-hmm. sort of there's no lead-in there's no lead-in whatsoever into whatever else happens but again, I mean, this is a standalone issue. You could just read this issue and not have to worry about anything else. So 
so Mark, uh, my Yojo score is seven, kind of an eight. Duke. Diana's is Duke. What's yours? <laughs> mine, I think, is an eight. Very enjoyable, great art, interesting story, great uh, introduction to a new character, a uh, lot of expectation of where this story is going to go next. Yeah, I think this is, you know, this is as about as 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 good as uh, as good as it gets, really. So, um, yeah, very very pleased with this issue, and uh, yeah, very expense, uh, expectant for uh, how it's all going to play out as uh, as we continue through this five parter. Excellent. So I think that was us finished talking uh, issue 281. Uh, we're running long even for us. And uh, so uh, so I think we'll uh, wrap things yeah. up relatively soon, but uh, we can't possibly wrap things up without talking innuendo. This is how the story goes. Attention. At this moment, you are now listening to Talking Innuendo. If you are offended by words like Sucking, Flesh Wound, Willy, Pete, Balls, Crystal Balls, Hypno Shield, whatever, take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, suck my grandmother's brick in a Prada handbag. So uh, if you if you bear with me, um, if you're in the right frame of mind, uh, my frame of mind that is, then a lot of G.I. Joe names can sound a little bit dirty. Um, so so in this uh, segment, I'll read out an, a, a list of uh, five names and see if uh, we can get to the end of it without making the co-hosts titter. Tollbooth. Lowlight. Wetsuit. Blocker. Fast draw. <laughs> Nothing. Fine. Was that was you that a me... slight squeak there? Or was that was that an animal? You had me close. Well, don't wetsuit. forget there's wet down. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah, I've done wet geez. down already. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Yeah. I'm saving up some. I'm saving up some good ones. Uh, we'll get there. I think this is only the second time I've been defeated. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, uh, Diana, for for joining us and and uh, for, you know finding out some of uh, more about you and more about uh, the the process of of how how the world of GI Joe gets uh, created. Oh, thanks a lot. It's it's been a worthwhile reason to wake up early on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, particularly thank you so much for waking up early on the uh, west coast of America. Well, uh, we're yeah luxuriating in our late morning and early afternoon. Can uh, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and uh, maybe your GI Joe collection? Well, I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I have a Twitter. I sort of ignore it. I have a TikTok. I've never touched. <laughs> uh, then they can look up the Gallery of Duke on Pinterest, and either it's going to be something about the Blue Devils or me. And that's any time. Drop me a line. I'm usually willing to chat anything fun about G.I. Joe. Excellent. Uh, where can people find more about you, Tim? People can find me at Instagram, A Real American Book, which I'm going to get back to now that it's the summer. Facebook, A Real American Book. But best of all, arealamericanbook.com. Excellent. 
You can find us in all of the usual places, Talking Joe, a G.I. Joe podcast on Facebook, Talking underscore Joe on Twitter, Talking Joe Comics, all one word on Instagram. You can email us as well. All of those places are found on the website, uh, talkingjoe.co.uk. And also thank you to all of our Patreon contributors who fund all of these website hosting and uh and recording sessions and what not so big thanks to uh, all of you next time on talking joe we will be covering devil's Jew issue 17 to 19 on the disavowed show and then back here in a fortnight's time we should be covering the next issue of murder by assassination in ARA 282, which is due for release on May the 26th. Um, and yeah, this was a long one, but I think we're at the end of it, because when all's said and done, you can catch us down the road. Because we've been talking Joe. And we're all out of Joes. Laters. And that's the end of it.